Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Sermon Podcast. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our New Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. Good morning. That was weak. <laughs> you're, you're on this side this time, Rocco. I did, I did tilt my head. Good morning. Much better, much better. But a quiet good morning is understandable. Good to see you guys. It's, this has just been a, such a strange time, and um, it's been a tough week, hasn't it? So um, what I'm going to say does apply to the text. So we're going to be reading from Galatians 2, really gospel-centered. But um, So Cindy and I were away for a few days. Uh, you ministered well. I heard of you where you've ministered. I heard it from many places. Um, Eileen Spencer, the service for her son, and to have a meal here, and just to be able to talk and be around one another. I heard you met uh, Sally Vanderark. She told me some of the conversations. Sally's from St. Joe. What in the world is she doing down here? God's, God's people. We want, to, we want to care for one another. Um. Mike did that service. Two days later, God finished his mom's battle, long battle with cancer and brought her home. We never knew when that day would be. But those around Barb, you saw the conversations all the time. This woman lived the gospel. She had a walk with God. She did. So that service on Sunday on the other campus, I think, will be a glorious service of faith. Did I say, what did I say? Saturday. Saturday, thank you. I might misspeak more than once, so thank you. The I need... service on Sunday is going to be too. Yeah, that will be too also, that's right. But her memorial service on Saturday. A Carol, who's here, many, lost her husband this week. And uh, Carol for, uh, man, every time she fills out a Connect card, it's been praying for her husband. It's, it, it's on a sticky note, I'm sure somewhere it has been. We want to care for her. Uh, Devin Sullivan, who will lead here in worship many times, his little four-year-old June. What's a kid like that doing getting this virus? But in the hospital, very life-threatening. She's home now, came home yesterday. But that was touch and go for a long time. And then uh, you've been praying for Bob Heiser. Um, you know, he... He was in St. Anthony's a while ago, virus, double pneumonia. Then this week, he's home, it turns worse, and he's got blood clots in the lung, and they called his family in from all over, from Ohio, from Illinois, called him in Friday night, and God brought him through that. Uh, the gl- blood clots are broken. Um, there's a long ways to go. I, and I was with um, Bob and Rhonda yesterday. <clears throat> it's almost un-Rhonda-like, if you know her. I mean, she's, she just... Um, got a wonderfully no-nonsense personality, but the way in which she talked of faith and said, tangibly she senses and feels the prayers of God's people. Tangibly she could, in fact, she just texted me like 40 minutes ago. Now here's the verse she sends. Isaiah 54.10, 
Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. She said, the Lord has prepared us. If, 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 he, if he takes Bob home today or tomorrow, we're okay. But she says, I just, I sense the prayers that God's people have carried all the way along. Can I just say, why do I say, it's been a tough week, but such expression is actually the fruit of the gospel. One of the things I've heard Mike is for as long as I've known him articulate a, pas- a pastoral vision is this. He wants to see God's people finish well. Finish with, with faith all the way through. As a lot of things that challenge us has been, I mean, the, the rancor in the last two years, there's a lot of things challenged, but I think there's a sifting that shows what's actually inside. And can I say this? God's people demonstrate the fruit of the gospel in our life and in our death. Whatever God brings to us, it, it will show out. And that, in fact, that's Paul's passion to the Galatians. He wants, the, he wants it really clear. He wants the main thing to be the main thing. And that's it. Not all the extras. And the extras be, bring slavery. I'm getting ahead of myself. But he's passionate about it because when, when it grows deep and it's understood, it actually bears a fruit in our lives that's almost inexplicable. And I'm telling you, this last week, I've seen it in brother and sister and brother and sister again and again in a text that comes through. That's, that's the Lord. So that's, that's been our week and, and to come. It, it, it's hard for us, isn't, isn't it? Hard for us to keep the main thing the main thing? There's so many things that distract us. Um, all the rancor about vaccines or masks, whatever you think about. I mean, it's, it's so strong, politicized. And, and, and uh, many of the discussions about my rights and what's my rights, and part of it is a little bit incongruent to us because as God's people, we go, what are my rights? When we serve a Savior who laid down everything for us. But Americans, we got rights. So you got this, how's the gospel supposed to work? It's so hard to keep the main thing the main thing. What, what's true and what's not true from what you hear from the media? Trying to work through it. We get distracted easily. Friends, I want you to know this. The gospel is simple and it is true and it is wonderfully glorious. The implications of the gospel. That is, the more we understand it, and, and, and let me say this way, I'll probably say it at the end too. I don't think any of us, myself included, understand it fully. And you'll know it in your prayers. You'll know it in your attitudes towards somebody. You'll see it in unexpected moments. We're really good in controlling certain things so the right thing comes out, but it's what's going on inside will demonstrate how much I understand it. And I want, we want to understand it more and deeper in a way that does affect all of us. The implications of the gospel of grace, they are immense and they are tangible. Consider for a moment, again, that an almighty God, almighty God, outside of this universe, created it all, that he would create us to be his image bearers. (laughs) That he would plan for our redemption after our rebellion. Redemption. That is a pursuit of us, a purchase of us, the cost of his son, that he would do that after our rebellion. That he would pursue us with his love, even though we acted as his enemies. 
that he would call us as sons and daughters to live in a relationship with him. Almighty God, to live in a relationship with him and make us citizens of a kingdom that he is building where he reigns in perfect righteousness. And all of this, all of it is coming from his grace, not anything that we have done, not anything that we have done, not anything that we have done. We simply put all our trust in him, in him, that's it, in Christ alone. That faith, too, is a, a gift to us. And the gospel of grace creates a freedom within us to love others well and to worship him with all our being, all our being. Not just when we gather here all the time because we're amazed by it. Yet all this we do imperfectly, don't we? We just do. Many have thought there's got to be more to it. <laughs> there's got to be. It just didn't seem fair. It didn't seem real. There's got to be more in, in order to be right with God, right? There must be more we do in order to prove our worth before God. Friends, I want you to know that kind of thinking only builds a religious system that actually diminishes the worth of Christ. That kind of thinking actually diminishes the immensity of our sin against the holy God, and it minimizes the wonder of a perfect son giving his life for us. It just does. It's natural thinking, though. It's essential that we understand this correctly. And friends, that is precisely Paul's passion as he lays it out in this letter. That's why he goes after it so strongly. I'll probably say this more than once. We all have a little bit of Pharisee in us. We all have a little bit of, we think that our relationship with God depends on our performance. It's a response to what God has done, to what he's done. Amen? Okay. I just, Barb's grasp of the gospel was real. She prayed big. She prayed small. She lived it. Um, you could argue the gospel with her. <laughs> I mean, there's just so many, but it, it brought a freedom to her life, a walk of, of faith. It is so in Bob. We're blessed to have brothers and sisters around us like that, aren't we? That's what encourages us in the faith. Okay, so let me ask you a different question. Um, and I'll, I'll do this by hands. I don't know if you've heard this or not. Have you ever heard the charge that what Paul preached was not what Christ preached? Has anybody heard that? A couple, no, okay. Not as many as I thought. It, it's it's a, uh, especially in secular things, or you'll, you'll hear that a lot, um, that they would say that Paul influenced the course of history and Christianity in a particular way that was jaded and was not consistent with Christ. I want you to know this. That's Paul's concern also, actually, and we'll see it in this text. He wants to be sure that what he is preaching and teaching is consistent with Christ and the rest of the apostles, those who'd previously been commissioned by Jesus, who'd, who'd been with him for three years. So I think the way I titled this was um, Paul's gospel confirmed. It's not like Paul's is unique, but it's, the gospel means the good news, what he's preaching. He wants to make sure he's on the right track. And we'll, we'll see that in, in the reading in just a moment. So again, <clears throat> we're probably all watching a little more TV than we did two years ago. But if you watch a series, they go previously... What happened? Um, so what's happened already in this, in this chapter? Uh, the first part in, 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 I think it's verses 6 through 10 of chapter 1, we see Paul's alarm. As he's writing to the church, he is alarmed that they are drifting from the gospel so quickly. 
And he uses language. Once again, think of him. He planted the church. They know him. So the language he uses, they should be like, oh, it, it, it's, it, it, he loves them, but he's alarmed that they're moving. And they don't even see that they're moving. Secondly, then, it's verses 11 to 24. It's, it's Paul's testimony. And what he, he wants them to see is the gospel that I'm preaching, it's not mine. I didn't make it up. It's from God. This gospel's from God. It's not from men. And so as he tells the story, he says, I wasn't looking for the gospel. In fact, I was an enemy of it. I'm a persecutor. I don't want it. I hate Christians. And the Lord came to me and did this and called me, showing that this, it, this gospel, it's from God. That's what he wants them to understand. So now, in this section that we're going to read, chapter 2, 1 to 10, it's Paul taking this to see that it might be confirmed with the rest of the apostles. All right? So we're going to read, keep your Bibles open. I'm going to try to project things up here, but we're going to look at just a couple of scriptures today. Galatians 2, 1 to 10. Then after 14 years, okay, so what he's just said is uh, he'd been and, and seen Cephas, and I think, uh, is it James? In, in Jerusalem and gone back. He says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of, of a revelation. We'll, we'll discuss what that is. And I set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, I set before them the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them, we did not yield in submission, even even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential... What they are makes no difference to me, and God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential, they added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John who seemed to be the pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Let's pray. Father, while these events are a long time ago and they discuss things that aren't in our common day, the issues that are there are ours. And so, Lord, I, I do ask this. I pray that as we go through this text, um, you would make the truth and beauty of the gospel more clear to us, more real, more beautiful, and you would have the effect in us that you so desire, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, a couple of years ago, we went through the book of Acts. So some people are wondering, when, when did this take place, that Paul goes up there with Barnabas and takes Titus and so forth? So I'm going to describe... Th- the likely when for just a moment. Um, I don't know if, do we have the Acts 11 one? Okay. So if you go back to Acts 11, um, Luke is the one who writes Acts and 
you know, he's telling the history of the church. Uh, so uh, Luke has a particular purpose in writing Acts, and Paul has a particular purpose in writing Galatians. So they get different purposes. So they don't try to tell all the same details. So they might be sometimes talking about the same events, but they don't, they don't tell the same details. So theologians don't know exactly when this is, but here's what I think this is. Um, I think this likely takes place um, in Acts 11. It says this, um, Now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, one of these prophets named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So leave that up um, for a bit. So what's going on? You get the Jerusalem church. That's the seat of, um, of Judaism. And you have the church in Antioch, which is, which is begun. Paul and Barnabas, I'm going to use Paul instead of Saul, are in Antioch. They're part of the leadership team. Antioch is very multicultural. Uh, many uh, of, um, didn't grow up um, ethnically Jewish. And so what happens is Agabus and a prophets come from Jerusalem up to Antioch. And Agabus has a prophecy that there's going, a word from God, there's going to be a famine. And so the church takes that word to say, they go to the church and say, hey, everyone give of what you can. Let's give the, um, money to help our brothers down in Jerusalem. So that's what they do. And they send it by Paul and Barnabas. So we don't know this, but if you remember in the reading in Galatians 2, it says, um, 14 years later, I went to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation. So we don't know what the revelation is. It could be the revelation. So I might just, I went up there because the revelation was given to Agabus. There's gonna be a, that's why we went. And so then he tells us in Galatians that he presented to them privately. So this is not Acts 15, the Jerusalem council. It's before that. I, I, don't, I, think, I don't think I have these scriptures. I don't, I don't think I gave them to you, Ian. But So <clears throat> Acts 12 goes on after it talks about Paul and Barnabas coming and delivering this money. And then the way Luke tells the story, he changes characters. And in Acts 12, he begins to talk about Herod persecuting the church, how he killed James, and then he captured Peter. And he intends to kill Peter. You might remember the story. He throws Peter in prison, and the church gathers, and remember they're praying, and uh, the Lord comes in, sends an angel in, and gets Peter out of prison. You remember, it's really kind of a funny story, because they're all praying. This might even be the upper room again. We don't, don't know where it is. But Peter gets out, and he walks, he, the angel leads him out. He, almost, he thinks it's a dream, and he realizes, oh, I'm here. So he goes to the church where they're praying. He knocks on the door. The servant girl comes and opens it. She doesn't let him in. He's standing in the outside gate. And so she goes and tells her, Peter's here. So it's kind of funny, because the church is praying. So what are they praying? We're assuming they're praying that he won't get killed. And we assume they're praying that he'll get released. And he is. And they go like, it's his ghost. Can't be him. <laughs> so if you ever pray and you think like you don't have good faith, you're in good company. I, mean, I think they're praying. So Peter comes in. They can't believe it. You know, here he is. Look what God's done. Okay. And then it says after that, oh, I'll read these. It's next 12. Now, when the day came, the next day, there was, I love Luke's um, understatement. 
there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. He was gone. <laughs> like, <laughs> no little disturbance. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Herod was mad. Then he, Peter, went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent some time there. So Peter leaves Jerusalem. He goes to the north to Caesarea. So next week's text that we read, where it talks about Peter being with, with Paul around the Galatian, someplace here. Yeah, I think it's in Antioch. That's north also. I think that probably takes place in that when Peter left. So we don't know. But I think that's the likely scenario. It doesn't change the message, essentially. The Jerusalem Council is later, where this issue is clarified. But here's what I want you to see. This is a significant issue that's affecting the church. And it takes a while to get clarity on it. And Paul and the apostles, they, they really have to wrestle through, essentially, what's essential to the gospel? What's extra? And I want to suggest to you that part is very important for us as well. I think it's easy to add things on. Simply, here's what it is. How is a person made right before God? How is a person saved? How much depends on us, our performance, our duty, our religious practices, and how much is God? So that, is, that question is essentially what is addressed throughout the first four chapters of Galatians. And we're kind of taking it piece by piece. The last two chapters really talk about that. Here's the implications of that. When you get what the gospel is, here's what comes out of your life. So they're both really important. All right. So now we're in chapter two, one to 10. Here's the flow of thought. Sometimes we call this a structure. So the first three verses... Um, it's really about the testing. Paul wants this tested. And this is Paul's initiative. Uh, verses 4 and 5, it's the opposition. It's these others coming in and saying these things about what Paul's teaching. And then verses 6 through 10 is the confirmation from the apostles saying, yep, this is right on. So the testing, the opposition, then the confirmation. All right. So let me read verses 1 through 3 again. Then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, I set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, here it is, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Why did he go? There was a revelation that was whatever, that's kind of the impetus. But the reason why he went, he wanted to make sure he was not running in vain. He wanted to make sure, what I'm teaching, I want to make sure it's not wrong. It's not worthless. It's not nothing. It's not nothing. So I don't know how you think of Paul, but there's a humility in this. That he would go there to check this. I, I think Paul gets mischaracterized. He is strong on certain things. He may not be like your temperament, but he's strong on the right things. And, and we'll look at another text later on where he, where he, has, um, where he has movement, where he's, he's okay to let some things go. There's, so there's a humility in this. And while Paul had received the gospel, think of this, in revelation from Jesus on the Damascus Road, 
He's checking to make sure that his preaching is consistent with the other apostles. I, I find that admirable. I think it's actually a good model for us. I, I think this thing, it's good to check. It's good to check. And Paul demonstrate that as, as significant as he is. Now his evidence, his first evidence that they said it was okay is verse three. He says, I took Titus with me. Titus is, he's Greek, and they didn't make Titus get circumcised. Now circumcision was kind of the doorway to say, I am embracing all of Judaism. You have to follow all the Mosaic law. And they didn't, they didn't require it. So let me, let's give a little bit of grace to these false teachers. Let's think about this historically. Jesus comes, his disciples are all Jews, okay? So they come and they become Christ followers, but they're all Jews. Pentecost, as you remember, the Holy Spirit comes. These guys go out and they're speaking other languages. And they're speaking languages to other nations. Even though they were other ethnic people. I mean, they're they're from Iran and uh, Libya. They're from all over the Mediterranean. They have con- those, those are proselytites to Judaism, ethnically different, but they've become Jewish in their practices. That's, that's still Pentecost, still the first Christians. So this group, I think they get twisted later, but what they're seeing, this group of false teachers, you got to become Jewish first. You got to follow all the law. I mean, come on, you remember what Jesus said, right? Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. You remember the Sermon on the Mount? He's showing, see the righteousness of the Pharisees? Unless your righteousness exceeds their righteousness, you'll never enter the kingdom. But Jesus, when you see the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about the heart. He's he's addressing, they're just following the form. These teachers took all of that to say is, you got to really follow the law. You got to become Jewish. You got to add all these things onto it. And that's not at all what Jesus was saying. So I think they were well-meaning, probably at least initially, but they were way off. And Paul's clarifying all of that. So let me say this. The gospel itself, it's really simple. It's, it's, It's deep, but it's simple. It's not complicated, okay? There's a guy, remember this guy? There's a guy standing next to Jesus on the cross. And, and he says, Lord, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus says, to this day you'll, you'll be with me in paradise. I, how much did he understand? There's some yielding to Jesus in this. But I don't think he had the doctrines of grace down. And he's in, so we could talk about that more. But I think, we make, I think we add things on, we make it too complicated. And they certainly had. Now there is... There's truth, what goes on. But I'd say is, whenever you, sometimes this goes on, you're around someone that's well-meaning, they, they found this, did you ever see this in scripture? They got this secret thing, this key that's gonna like make your life better. So whenever that happens, just, it, it should smell funny to you. Okay, it just should be like, they could be well-meaning, but people are often looking for secret, and that's actually where cults grow out of that kind of stuff. Why would God make it complicated or not understandable? In one sense, it's almost too amazing to believe and understand, but it's not complicated. It is wonderfully glorious. Okay, the opposition comes, verses four and five. It says, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, 
so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. What I want to contrast right now is the true freedom of the gospel with what I'm going to call religious enslavement. Okay? So notice that these false teachers are actually called false brothers. And then he uses the term, they're like secret spies sent in. What's a spy do? They are sent in to infiltrate, to look like a person, to, to accomplish some kind of devious mission. And when you look at Paul's stance against them, it's fierce. Look, he, he says, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. Why? Because Paul's stubborn. He wanted to prove his point. No, nah, that's not why. Why did he not yield even for a moment, he tells us in the text? Why? I should, I should make you say it. Why? Do you see the so that? That's what he's saying. Here's why he didn't yield. So the truth of the gospel might be preserved for whom? For you. Understand this. This has to do with the truth of the gospel on behalf of the Galatians who are Gentiles. Do you understand Paul's not a Gentile? He's doing this for, on their behalf, their spiritual well-being. well-being. I'm not moving an inch. And for the sake of the gospel. Now, I'm going to draw a distinction for you about his inflexibility here. And I'm going to draw you to another text. Some of you might be wondering about this. Do you ever remember the part where Paul says, I become all things to all men, to the Jews I become a Jew? Okay, so I'm going to read that. And I want to show the difference in what these are because I think it has bearing for us. Did I give you those, Ian? 1 Corinthians 9? Okay, I'm just going to read it from there. <clears throat> for though I'm free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Why? That I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. How can he do that? What's Peter doing later on? What's the difference between those two? Here's what I want you to see. Paul's inflexible about compromising on the gospel. Yet, he will remove unnecessary barriers to the gospel. What do I mean? I'm going to use an illustration. Illustrations are always risky. Um, so I'll try to give my, uh, my caveats along the way. Um, my parents, uh, when, when I was born, my brother was born, they were very irreligious, uh, did not grow up in religious households. Neither of them grew up in very dysfunctional families. Um, but through a long chain of events, God got a hold of them when they were young parents. I remember my dad um, when he had to stop eating pizza. Do you know why he had to stop eating pizza? Because as he became a Christian um, in that day, um, so I grew up in a household that when you were a Christian, you did not drink, you did not smoke. My dad could not have pizza without beer. So <laughs> it's like, if I got to give up that one, I got to give up it. I, I remember, it's weird. I was, I was a little, I remember that part of it, you know. 
Um, he just, he, he lost his taste for pizza. It did come back later in life. But I just grew up in a household where smoking and drinking, that's not part of being a Christian, okay? So what I'm going to tell you is to not advocate smoking or drinking. Don't hear it that way. But I will say this, uh, bad for your health, uh, Bible's, you know, the abuse of alcohol, Bible's really clear on that. That's the household I grew up in, okay? <clears throat> I think the school I went to also, <laughs> one of those had such rules, which I complied with. Later on, this is actually in this church, um, I remember being on a men's retreat up at our camp, and one of my friends, <clears throat> we had a bunch of guys up there, and uh, some of the guys we had with us, they you know, they've been Christians for a little while, but they were still addicted to smoking. They didn't like it, but they, they did. So you can go find your place to smoke, your little smoker's corner or whatever, you know. And, and they'd also brought some friends uh, that were not yet in Christ, not yet believers, but they brought them along. So we're all having a great time, but it's time to smoke. So they go find their place. I'm like, let them have their, you know, I just want to give them their space. My friend did something very different. He wouldn't let them go. He went with them and had some drags on cigarettes, even though he didn't like them. And I, it was just outside my paradigm, you know? I wasn't trying, the free to do it, it's cool. I mean, I don't, that's, I wasn't being judgmental, but he went there and was smoking with them. Why? He wanted to remove, and we talked about it. He wanted to remove barriers to the gospel. This is not gospel central. This is not an issue of being in or out. And I want to make sure they don't feel like there's a barrier there. Okay, understand in my example, I'm not advocating all that stuff. But I understand it's, it is, it's a barrier to many. Um, if you want to talk about that, the story goes further. <laughs> I was really helped by that kind of thinking and that kind of clarity. That's what Paul's talking about. And I'll do all things to all men. I'm going to remove whatever is an unnecessary barrier without compromising it. But I am not compromising anything of the gospel. And I'm making sure nothing gets added to it. I'm making sure because that becomes religious enslavement. Uh, did you notice the word freedom in verse 4? Because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ so that they might bring us into slavery. What is he talking about? It's, it, it will develop further in this gospel, but it's Paul is reasoning for a freedom that the gospel brings in Christ, Okay. So this is the first time that he uses that word in nine times. And what he will reason is this. Here's the difference. Freedom in the gospel and, and a slavery in these religious systems. Now, when he describes freedom, it's different than the way our culture describes freedom. Okay, The way our culture describes freedom is what? Well, I'm free to do whatever I want. You can't tell me what to do. That's, that's not freedom. That's enslavement to self. Paul will describe freedom as a freedom to love others like Christ loves them. You're just, I mean, you're free in all that. That's later on in chapters five and six. But this adding becomes religious enslavement. A, hear me, a works-based religion is enslaving. Think about it. It's got lots of problems. When have I done enough? How do I know when I've done enough? There's always more to do. There's always more I could have done. It becomes enslavery. You're, you're driven. The Pharisees were driven. I, I, I've never measured up. The truth is we don't measure up. 
The other part is this. When that's, can I just say, we all have a little bit of Pharisee in us, a little bit of works-based religion, okay? It just, it just, it's our default. The gospel is absolutely freeing. That God loves us that much and would call us as his sons and daughters. And we just got to come and turn to him totally and believe. It's pretty simple. It's immensely glorious. But we feel, I got to do something to earn. There's got to be more. There's got to be more. There isn't. He did enough. This becomes enslaved. When have I done enough? I don't know when I've done it. There's no way of knowing. How do I measure it? And I can tell you, religious system after religious system, there's some, that's how, they, that's how most of them are based. Here's the other temptation, the problem. If I'm into, in that and really doing it hard, I tend to look down on others because someone else isn't doing enough. I may be trying to be well-meaning to them, but you got to do more. Because it's enslaving. That's what Paul's talking about. And he is passionate about showing the difference. And I want to say to us, a lot of us here still struggle with that. The gospel is freeing. It's almost so freeing, it's scary. While it's given up everything for him, there's a freedom that is, is immense. Is immense. It's rooted in his steadfast love and will make us worship him. Like we've never worshipped our prayers. Everything will be so. All right, verses 6 to 10. I won't read it all again, but I'm going to just call out these phrases, Ian. In this one, this is the part where it's confirmed. And what we see is the apostles, they see evidence of the Lord in Paul's gospel. And here's the phrases, verse 7. They saw that God had entrusted the gospel to Paul. God had entrusted it to Paul uniquely, as he had done it, um, Peter to the Jews, Paul to the Gentiles. God had entrusted the gospel to Paul. Secondly, verse 8, God was working through both of them. God was saving Gentiles through Paul. He's saving Jews through Peter. God had entrusted it to him. God was working through them both. And then verses 9 and 10, <clears throat> James, John, and Peter, they perceived the grace that was given to me. They could perceive it. They saw it. So what they say is, yep, you're right on. Go to the Gentiles. Just remember the poor. As Paul says, man, I was eager to remember the poor. So let me just comment on that part. We would understand this. Um, remembering the poor is not um, part of the gospel. It's a fruit of the gospel. So there's some that kind of make this a social gospel thing. But it's significant in that this. If I understand God's grace... This comes from all of God. I, I didn't deserve any of it. Okay? Let me, let me pause for a moment. So if you're a Christ follower and you grew up in a home where your parents were Christians, so you heard about this, what did you have to do with that? <laughs> Nothing. If you came to faith later in life as a youth or as an adult and God gave you understanding, how did that come? How do you make yourself believe? God does these things. Now, the circumstances that are involved, but I want, I want to say to you, God's calling people. He's calling people. He's calling people. That's him. This is all him. That's grace. And when you get that truly, what's that do to us? Grace that comes to us, not because of anything I've done, should make us gracious people. It would make us generous to anyone. The poor, 
We see ourselves as needy. We're all needy before Christ. Justin would say it all the time, at, at the foot of the cross, we're all equal. We're, it's, it's level ground here. And it's not one better than another. We all need, that's what the gospel does in us. We don't look down on others. There's a humility. Now let me say this. Of course, all of us get that wrong some days, right? But if you get it wrong, can I say this to you? Don't go on condemning yourself. Do this. If you get it wrong and you realize it in an attitude, why do you realize it? Why do you care? I want to suggest to you that's actually the Holy Spirit within you. The only reason you'd ever see it is because the Holy Spirit. You, every single one of us, on our own, we'd live absolutely self-centered. We, we, just, we just would. It, it'll manifest itself in different ways. That's how it'd be. But the gospel as it comes to us should make us people who are gracious and generous, kind. We don't do that because that's like a cool slogan. Our ways is be kind or whatever. No, it's genuine in us. So all these little debates or whatever, I could listen to someone who's really got a strong opinion about something that I don't think that matters. And, but I can, if it's to understand them, I can be there and not look down on them and pray in certain ways. That's the fruit of the gospel. So let me end here. All of this discussion for the early church, what's going on, this is a huge step in Christianity. Because there are many that would teach, and I would say even today, your righteousness must exceed the scribes and Pharisees. There must be more that you have to do. Let me ask you this, friends. How much does God do? And how much must I do? Salvation is all of God. It just is. The call to us, it's to turn and believe. To trust. To give up ownership of our life. That's, that's simple. It's not complicated. It's wonderfully glorious. It might be scary for some, but it's really good. It has everyday implications for us. How we pray becomes very different. Our attitude towards others, others that treat us poorly. When the gospel comes to us really deeply. That's the effect. I'm, it's been my prayer for a while. I'll say this again. None of us understands the gospel of grace well, maybe well enough. I want it to bear fruit in my life. Jesus says it like this. The kingdom of God comes to you like a mustard seed. The tiniest seed there is. When you plant it, I mean, it, it, it becomes invisible in the ground so quickly. It's so small. Yet it grows up into this tree, like an overgrown shrub almost, bush. And the birds of the air come and nest in it. That is, the gospel, the kingdom of God had as it grows in your life, it will continue to change you all the time. And in a way, it changes. You, you mature like seed to a tree, and that tree, others come and are nourished by you and affected by you. It's, it's the fruit of the gospel. That's what he intends God's people to be. And I want to say this to you. Man, these last couple of years have been crazy. I think it just stirred up the craziness that's always been there. Just made it more obvious. It's a glorious time to follow Jesus. 
the darker and weirder it gets, the greater Jesus is. And the way this gets lived out in us should be more free, more clean. I don't have to change anybody. God does. He, he, he does. Our prayer should be that way. If he's come to us like this, what else might he not do? May it be. Let's pray. Father, I pray for my own life as I pray for brothers and sisters and friends here, Lord, that these truths, as we continue to go through this letter to the Galatians, Lord, that it would would go deeper within us and have greater effect. I pray that for young and for old, even in our own reading, thank you for the Holy Spirit who grants such understanding. Thank you for Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you would like more information about Sawyer Highlands Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.